are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, we're going to read verse 14 again, just the first phrase, seven words of verse 14. And I want to speak to you just for a little while as we close out this year and step into a new year. What is it? What's the difference? What is it between success and failure? What's the difference? What's the difference between finishing and quitting? What's the difference in plateauing or stagnating and those who go higher and go further for God? Well, I believe the key is found here in the first phrase of verse number 14. Look with me at what the Bible says. For the love of Christ constraineth us. For a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought as we close out this year and journey into a new one. The key to going forward and then to keep going forward. I don't want to go back. I want to go on. I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. I want to continue in this thing. And I think if we're going to do that, we have to get a hold of the phrase, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for power to preach now. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as a church family. God, give us exactly what we need to go on. I pray that today we'd be able to prevent those in the days ahead that could be casualties, that could fall out, that could just get tired, weary, burn out. I pray we get a hold of the truth today that could carry us through a new year. Thank you for what you've done. As we look back on 2020, it's very evident with hindsight how the hand of God has been with us every step of the way. I pray that that be true as we continue on for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm convinced that the thing that separates successes from failures, whether it be in business or just a person, an athlete, a doctor, a Christian who's trying to live for God, that would separate success from failure is really just one thing. It's not many things, it's just one thing. It's not a long list. And we like long lists. We like books that are filled with chapters that try to teach us the secrets to success. But this morning I'm convinced that really it's just one thing. It's not a list, it's just one thing. It's not pages, it's just one thing. It's not chapters, it's just one thing. I'm convinced there's only one thing that's produced great people throughout history. There's one thing that's produced so many great Christians. There's one thing that has sustained great churches. That one thing is not talent. That one thing is not finances. That one thing is not the right climate. That one thing is not ease or education or innovation. That one thing is not location, the city, the state, the country that you're ministering in. That one thing is not the generation in which you were born. Those things are not what produce greatness or what produce success. There have been uneducated successes. Abraham Lincoln was a success. Abraham Lincoln was self-taught. He never earned a college degree. Yet we'd all say that Abraham Lincoln was a success. There have been successes that came out of difficult days. We know the name George Washington or Benjamin Franklin. But those men were born out of revolution. But they were successful. There have been successes that came out of abject poverty. You might not know the name as well, but J. Frank Norris was a great, a great man, a success. He pastored the two largest churches in America at the same time, one in Texas and one in Michigan. 
He'd ride a train back and forth between the two and pastor them from Sunday to Sunday. 28,000 people combined membership. But that man came from a family of abject poverty, just dirt farmers in Texas. You see, there's been success stories for as long as there's been history. And they've come from every corner of creation. But what is it that gives us those people and provides us with those stories? I believe that across the board, when you study greatness or you study success, you find in every instance those people, those businesses, or those churches that fit that description all shared a single quality. What separates success from failure? What separates finishing from quitting? What separates growing from dying? What's that quality or that attribute that is kept and then keeps that crowd going forward in spite of opposition or in spite of circumstance? What is it that keeps those kind of businesses and those kind of Christians and those kind of churches from simply burning out and fading away? Well, this morning I believe the key is found in our text verse. I believe it's summed up in the first phrase of our verse. In fact, I believe it's held in one word found in that first phrase of our verse. I believe the key to success, and now when I say success, I'm not talking about the world's definition of success. I'm talking about fulfilling the will of God for our life. I think the key to success is found in that word, that word constraineth. Now when we talk about constraint, I'm not talking about being restricted but I'm talking about a force that compels you forward. To be constrained is to be consumed. To be constrained is to be compelled. To be constrained is to be overwhelmed. To be constrained is to be held captive by something and then to get lost in whatever that thing is. The one who's constrained has a purpose and they move forward toward the purpose. The one who's constrained has a cause and they move forward toward that cause. The one who's constrained has a definite direction, and they won't let anything stop them from reaching the destination. Why? Because they are constrained. When you're constrained, you don't stop. When you're constrained, you don't quit. When you're constrained, you don't swerve. When you're constrained, you don't consider slacking up. Why? Because you're constrained. R.G. Lee, the great preacher, said, lack of a true motive makes life dreary and unworthy. You know, Thomas Edison tried 1,000 times before he successfully got his light bulb to shine. Not one time or 10 times or 100 times, but 1,000 times that man tried and he failed, but he didn't quit. Why didn't he quit? He was overwhelmed and consumed. He was constrained with making the light bulb shine. Henry Ford went bankrupt five times trying to get his business off the ground, but he didn't stop. He didn't stop after the first or the second or the fifth time. He kept going. Why? He was overwhelmed with something, consumed by something. It drove him forward. Abraham Lincoln ran for legislature and he lost. He ran for Congress and he lost. He ran to be vice president and he lost, but he didn't stop. Why? He had that overwhelming, compelling desire that held him. It wouldn't let him go. And he kept going until eventually he became president. That's why Noah built that ark. That's why Abraham journeyed to Canaan. That's why Peter was faithful unto death. That's why Daniel endured Babylon. Those men were overcome, overwhelmed, consumed and constrained by something. When you're constrained, the only outcome and the only option is to advance forward. When you're constrained by something, you'll eat it, you'll sleep it, you'll drink it, and you'll live it. That which constrains you will overtake your conversation. 
It'll flood your dreams. It invades your hearts. It captures your thoughts and fuels your actions. Hardships might come and trials might come, but they can't stand up to that overwhelming force that keeps motivating you and driving you forward. Charles Spurgeon made the statement, all great lives have been under the constraint of some mastering principle. A man who wastes lives on whims and fancies never achieves anything, but a man becomes great when he becomes concentrated. A successful soldier is a constrained soldier. By that I mean he's a soldier that lives for battle. He studies it. He trains for it. He goes through the routine of preparing himself for it. Every day of his life he is constrained with that thought of battle and he's successful. A successful businessman is constrained with his business. That's why he labors. That's why he sacrifices. That's why he's up through the night. He can't shake it. He can't get rid of it. It constrains him and that's why he's successful. The successful athlete is constrained with this sport. That's why he practices. That's why he trains. That's why he diets. He works through injury. Why? He can't help it. He has to. He's overwhelmed with it. He's constrained by his sport. The politician who's successful is the same. He's overwhelmed with it. He can't shake it. He believes in what he's politicking, his convictions, and he stands for those, and he doesn't care about slander, scorn, or bad press. He can't help but continue forward. Why? Because he is constrained. Today, I believe success hinges upon God's people being constrained. I mean being overwhelmed. I mean being consumed. I mean being overtaken by something. But the important thing is that we're constrained by the right thing. Bob Jones Sr. said no one ever does anything great until he's consumed with an idea. And whenever you're consumed with something, you'll be consumed in something. When you're overtaken by it, you're going to stay with it. When it overwhelms your life, you're not going to slack up. Whenever it's all, you're all about it, you're going to be all in no matter what comes. Why? Because you are constrained. Now, today, we're about to turn the calendar page into a new year. And I'm convinced for you and I as Christians and us as a church corporately, as a local church, if we're to go forward for God and if we're to grow and bring glory to his name, we have to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, to be overcome, to be constrained by the right motivation. We've got to anchor ourselves in the right force to propel us forward. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to go forward in 2021. I don't want to stay where I've been. I don't want to be how it's always been. I don't want to just coast until Jesus comes. I want to do so much the more as we see the day approaching. I want to go forward in my prayer life. I want to go forward in my Bible study. I want to go forward in my witnessing. I want to go forward in my love for family and friends. I want to go forward in my devotion to Christ and His church. I want to go forward spiritually in my life. And if I'm going to avoid staying the same, if I'm going to continue and go forward, I must be constrained by something. I'm convinced the only thing that'll keep us from plateau and stagnation is if we get constrained today. Stagnation and plateau is not where I want to live. I don't want to live in maintenance mode. I don't want to live content with same old, same old. Now maybe that's not you and maybe you just have to pray for me. 
But I really am not content. I am thankful for what God has done, but I'm not content just to live off of past tense what God has done. I want to see God do something in the days ahead. Can I say that plateauing and maintaining are just precursors to dying? There's way too many churches and ministries and Christians that live on the plateau and live in maintenance mode and they're like the turkey in the barnyard on the day before Thanksgiving. They're dead and just don't know it yet. I don't want to be that way. I want to go forward for God. Our world doesn't need another dead Christian. And our world doesn't need another dying church. We need a Christian and a church that's out and out for God, consumed and constrained and overtaken. Our cry is not maintained. Our cry is not plateaued. Our cry is not same old, same old. We're supposed to march towards Zion. We don't sit where we are. We don't limp back the other direction, but we always advance marching towards Zion. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna. And if we're gonna go forward, and by the way, we have to go forward. In our generation, a church has to go forward. There has to be a church that can lift up the banner, a church that can raise the standard, a church that doesn't drop the ball. And God help it to be our church if we're going to go forward then we've got to be constrained and here we find it in our text for the love of Christ constraineth us Paul's writing in this text at the outset he says heaven is coming and when I get to heaven the judgment seat is coming and if I'm going to run my race well and if I'm going to finish my course with joy if I'm not going to quit compromise change or fall out then I've got to be overwhelmed and overcome and constrained by the love of Christ let the athlete have his competition let the businessman have his capital let the politician have his crowd but for the Christian we ought to be overcome with the love of Christ can I say the greatest thing that ever happened to me is the love of Jesus Christ I'm not often what I ought to be but thank God I'm not what I used to be and it's not because I have on a press suit or shine shoes or a necktie. It's because Jesus Christ changed my life. The Bible says in our text chapter, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Think about the love of Christ because of that love today. How many drunkards are sober? How many drug addicts are clean? How many crooked have been made straight? How many broken lives have been put back together? Where would you be today without the love of Christ in your life? There's nothing like it. It was that love that felt that feeble finger touch the hem of his garment. It was that love that had him crying at the tomb of Lazarus. It was that love that had the leper leaping for joy. And it was that same constraining love that saved you and provides for you and watches over you every single day. Thank God for his love. The Bible says God is love. But Christ is the supreme revelation of God's love toward us. Thank God for Jesus. I like the song that says, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Where every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. His love ought to overwhelm us. His love ought to compel us. His love ought to constrain us and keep us moving 
moving forward into a new year. I'm not talking about your love for him because we all know our love for him wanes and it varies, but thank God his love for us is always the same and we can get lost in his love and we can dive deep in his love and anchor to his love and that's enough fuel to keep us going forward into another year. His love for us can't be quantified by numbers. It can't be measured with metrics. There is no measuring stick for that love, but thank God it was displayed for us on the cross of Calvary as it was given inexhaustibly and indescribably and eternally as Jesus died and shed his blood. And Paul says, I tell you how I keep going. Here's how I don't quit. Here's how I stay out this thing. I don't anchor my love in anything else other than the fact that Jesus loves me and that motivates me and that propels me and that constrains me to go forward. His love for us, the love of Christ constraineth me. Why? Because the love of Christ saved me. The love of Christ constraineth me. Why? Because the love of Christ has forgiven me. The love of Christ constraineth me. Why? Because the love of Christ daily provides for me. The love of Christ constraineth me. But why? Because the love of Christ is growing me. The love of Christ constraineth me. Why? Because the love of Christ has helped me. The love of Christ constraineth me. Why? The love of Christ has made me new and every day makes me more like Jesus himself. The love of Christ constraineth me. Why? Because Christ has given me more good things in a day than the devil gave me in decades. He's been good in my life. But the chief thing the love of Christ ought to do for me is make me love him back and keep me moving forward. Yes, there'll be opposition. Yes, there'll be some downtime times. Yes, there'll be things to overcome, but the love of Christ is greater still than all those things that would come in our pathway. For the love of Christ, he says, constraineth me. I ought to be in hell, but thank God I got a home in heaven. Why? Because of the love of Christ. I ought to be lost, but I'm a child of God because of the love of Christ. I ought to be condemned under the law, but thank God I'm free under grace. Why? Because of the love of Christ. Think about it. Jesus created the world he sculpted the mountains and trudged out the rivers. He stretched out the valleys, everything he created. Why did he do that? Because he loves me. Jesus planned me before I was born. Why? He loves me. He left heaven to be born in a stable and live among men. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus endured everything that my flesh endures, yet he never yielded to temptation. He never failed. He never sinned. Why did he do that? Because he loves me. Jesus was betrayed. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus was beaten. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus was scourged. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus was covered in spit. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus bore a crown of thorns. Why? Because he loves me. We teach it to our children. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus carried a cross up Calvary's hill. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus stretched himself out upon the cross. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus allowed nails to be driven through hands and feet. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus was left alone to suffer between heaven and earth. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus endured the scorning. Why? because he loves me. Jesus sat there and let them mock him. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus allowed them to put that sign above his head. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus said, I thirst. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus bore that thorny crown and every drop of blood that hit the ground said, I love you. I'm dying for you. Why? He loves me. Jesus cried out in agony and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why?
Why did he do that? Because he loves me. Jesus gave up the ghost. He yielded his life on the cross. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus was buried in a barred tomb and laid there for three days. Why? Because he loved me. But thank God he rolled the stone away and he stepped out on resurrection ground. Why? Because he loved me. Jesus spent days tabernacling around men before he ascended to the Father and showed them he was alive. Why? Because he loved me. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on my behalf every day. Why? Because he loves me. One of these days, the trumpet will sound. The clouds will roll back like a scroll. The dead in Christ shall rise and then we'll be cut up in the clouds. Why? Jesus is coming because he loves me. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. His banner over us is love. His thoughts for us is love. His purpose for your life is love. And what ought to drive us forward in a new year is the fact that Jesus loves you. The love of Christ constraineth me. First John 4, 19 says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. This verse of scripture was penned by Paul. And if ever there was a man that personified what I want in my life and what I think we would want in the life of our church is the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Paul wasn't a stagnator. Paul was not a plateauer. Paul was not a backtracker. Paul did not work in the ministry like he was on life support or his Christianity had some crippling limp. But no matter what the devil put in his pathway, he overcame it and went forward as he lived for Christ. He was a chosen vessel. But as a vessel, he spent most of his ministry in the furnace. By that I mean he was no stranger to difficulty. Paul faced persecution. He faced opposition. He faced slander. He faced scorn. He faced imprisonment. He was hated by his countrymen, cast off by his family, mocked by men of power, afflicted by the devil. He had seasons of weariness. He had moments of hunger. He'd been destitute. He'd been shipwrecked and stoned. Paul knew what it was to be heartbroken. He wasn't a stranger to tears. He'd had upheavals and reversals in his own life. He carried the weight of heavy burdens upon his shoulders as he walked lonely miles in the ministry. His ministry wasn't like many modern day preachers who parade around on television and they wine and dine political leaders as they fly from place to place in their private jet. Paul wasn't living in some plush parsonage, cashing out a big paycheck on the corner of Easy Street and signing Bibles in the ministerial association meeting. No. Paul was scorned. Paul was slandered. Paul was cast off. They didn't want old fogey Paul, old fashioned Paul. They didn't like Paul, but Paul kept going. Why? He was constrained. He was overwhelmed. He couldn't shake it. He was ate up with it. The love of Christ constrained his life. It says it in our verse, for the love of Christ constraineth me. He was constrained. He thought about it all day long. He talked about it all day long. That was his story. That was his song filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Paul couldn't shake it. Constrained by the love of Christ. He was held captive. It wouldn't let him go, but he didn't want to let him go. He couldn't shake it, but he didn't want to shake it. He couldn't get it off of him. But he didn't want to get it off of him. Every word he filtered through the fact Jesus loves him. Every thought he filtered through it, Jesus loves me. 
Every action he filtered through it, Jesus loves me. Every motive got filtered through it, Jesus loves me. Every movie made was filtered through Jesus loves me. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah got tired of preaching such a negative message. He was preaching in 2020 and, and nobody wanted it. You know, he just, nobody wanted it. He was too old fashioned. He didn't fit in. He was too straight. He was too hard. He was too absolute on everything. And he said, God, I just not going to preach anymore. I think I'll just slack up, back up. I think I'll quit for a minute. And he tried and it lasted about half a second. Then all of a sudden he said, I tried. He said, but I couldn't stay. He was in my bones. He said, like a fire burning. He said, I had to preach in his name. Can I say that's what the love of Christ ought to do in our life? Sure, it's not always easy. Sure, it's not always fun. Sure, it's not always rewarding down here. But think about what Jesus has done in our life. And that ought to move us forward. There's so many people who've quit. There's so many people who've been sidetracked. There's so many people who've fallen out by the wayside. Why? If we focus on the wrong thing, you'll sputter out, you'll stall, you'll find yourself on the side of the road in a hurry. What kept Paul going forward? And then he kept going forward. The love of Christ constrained him. Paul, why didn't you quit when Demas forsook you? Because I wasn't constrained by Demas. I was constrained by Christ. Paul, why didn't you quit when your family cast you off? I wasn't constrained by my family. I was constrained by Christ. Why didn't you quit preaching it straight when the Sanhedrin threatened you? Because I wasn't constrained by the council. I was constrained by Christ. Why didn't you quit and go into hiding when the government oppressed you? Because I wasn't constrained by the Roman authorities. I was constrained by Christ. And here's what he did. Every time he'd stand a grip up, up to the love of Christ, and all of a sudden he no longer saw a grip up. And he'd stand Caesar up next to the love of Christ, and no longer did he worry about Caesar. He'd stand the prison cell up to the love of Christ, and no longer did he fear the prison cell. He stood the Sanhedrin by the love of Christ and found them eclipsed in the towering love of Jesus. He stood the stonings up to Jesus and the scorning up to Jesus and the rejection and trial and hurt up to the love of Christ. And he said, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost and I can't help but speak the things that I've seen and heard for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What do we need? I tell you what we need. We don't have to have slick marketing. We don't have to have a big light show. We don't have to have the newest technology. That's not what will keep a church going forward. But we have to be overcome and overwhelmed and consumed with the love of Christ for you and I. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm talking about good people today who've quit. And I'll close. Sincere people who've quit. Sunday school teachers who quit. Choir members who've quit. Bus workers who've quit. I know pastors who've quit. They're stalled out on the side of the road. I know churches the same. They ballooned with growth, but after a while they got deflated. They reached their city for a season, but now they have no influence in their city. They took a stand, but now they've compromised. They used to be strong and have vibrant ministries, but now they just barely hang on. What happened? They weren't constrained or they were constrained by the wrong thing. People are going to hurt you. Ministry can get old. Life will change. Circumstances aren't always good. It's not always easy. 
And to be an old-time Christian has never been popular. It's not rewarding temporally. So how are we going to keep going? We must be constrained, overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Today we stand with nothing but potential ahead of us. Today we stand, I'm going to say it again, with nothing but potential ahead of us. We're right at the starting point of what God wants to do in the will of God for this church. You say, well, all we're doing is turning the calendar page. I know that, but I believe God has given us the sense of time and years so that we can reset ourselves, refocus ourselves, and go forward. And today we stand at the starting line. The possibilities with God are endless. And I believe today, if we're going to avoid the casualty list, and if we're going to be strong, and this church is not going to be here just for another year, but for decades until Jesus comes, we're going to have to take our focus, our heart, and lay it firmly on the fact that Jesus loves us. Amen. Hudson Taylor was interviewing some young boys who wanted to be foreign missionaries, and he said, tell me, son, why do you want to be a missionary? And one of them said, because Christ commands us to go. He said, very good. He asked the other one, he said, why, why do you want to be a missionary? And the other boy said, because there are millions dying without Christ. And he said, those are fine answers, but none of those will get you through the trials of life. They won't keep you in the ministry when it's not enjoyable. Those won't get you through the hard days. He said, the only motivation that will keep you going forward is the love of Christ. Jesus told us He loved us at Calvary. He tells us He loves us every time you draw a breath. But when's the last time you got lost in His love and you said, Jesus, I love you too? T. Dwight Talmadge used to tell the illustration of a young girl who was blind and she'd read her Bible with her fingers braille. She read her Bible so much that her fingertips went numb. She couldn't read her Bible anymore and she wanted to read the Bible. She was so constrained that she cut her fingertips trying to get them sensitive again. And she put her fingertips on her Bible but found she destroyed the nerve endings of her fingers and still couldn't read her Bible. She brought that Bible, that Braille Bible, up to her lips and kissed it and said, Goodbye, old friend. And as she kissed it, she realized she could feel the words with her lips. And she said, oh, I might not be able to read this with my fingers, but now I can read the Word of God with my lips. I read that and I thought, what would compel a person to be so extreme, to go that far, to not give up when the first difficulty entered in? I think I know what it is. The love of Christ constraineth me. I believe there's not many things that separate success from failure. I believe there's one thing. I don't believe there's many things that separate finishing from quitting. I believe it's one thing. It's not a lot of things that separate a dying church from a thriving church. It's really just one thing. You've got to be constrained by something. And for you and I, let us resolve the love of Christ constraineth me. I can't quit. Can't compromise. Can't change. Just got to go forward till Jesus comes. Why? Because He loves me. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.